Welcome, welcome, everybody. Let's get started to the Justin Hanna podcast show. Let's introduce our first guest. He is a leader with an eye for excellence, a visionary when it comes to bringing his clients' designs to reality. He's the man with the utmost integrity, and I am so glad to have made his acquaintance. Let's give a warm welcome to Harvey Acevedo. Welcome, Harvey. Thank you, Justin. Appreciate the warm welcome. Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, Harvey. So this is what I like to do. We're going to do a couple of icebreaker questions. Just say the first thing that comes to your mind. All right? Sounds good. All right, Harvey. What is your favorite smell? I would say my wife. <laughs> okay, that's, that's great. All right. Um, beach or snow? Which one would you rather be in? I would say the beach. Um, can't stand the cold. That's why we live in Texas. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Plus, if you want to cool off, you can just go to the water, right? Exactly. All right. If you had to travel across the country, would you take a plane, train, or car, and why? Well, um, given my work history, professional work history, I've traveled coast to coast and international, all by plane, and why? Yeah, it's it's simple answer is you know it's more convenient, but okay. um, but since you're asking me and I'm gonna be straight up, I would if I had my choice, it would be more of an automobile, um, because you know flying in airplanes sounds classy, um, but it's a lot of work. You know, it, get, it gets old, right? It gets old quick. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's more work than it seems. Uh, <laughs> so I would rather take an automobile if I had the choice. Yeah. Uh, when's the last time you went on a road trip, Harvey? This summer. Uh, oh, really? August. You- it was a short trip to uh, Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. Um, we stayed in the cabin. It's a four-hour drive from the Dallas, Texas area. And I uh, just went with the family. We drove up there, and it was, it was, it was nice and pleasant. Cool. I have not yet been camping, but this is one thing I do plan on taking my son. Um, and I'll probably end up checking places in Oklahoma since I also live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You should try it. Definitely with the family and with your son. All right. Definitely. All right. So I have a million-dollar question for you. If you had a investor willing to back you for $1 million, what type of company would you open? And why would you open that company? Great question. Uh, it would, you know, I, you know, given my work history, I had been in the hospitality industry for the past 13 years. Uh, I've built, I've helped design and construct hotels, major branded hotels like Hilton's, Marriott's, and Hyatt's across the USA, Mexico, and Central America. So, you know, I see, I see the value in creating a tangible product um, that brings enjoyment and you know, and profits to stakeholders and guests and you name it. So I've seen what that produces, uh, what it brings to the to people, to communities. Um, so in that sense, I've always dreamed about and I've thought about here recently, especially given the current state of the uh, economy with the pandemic, opening up like uh, development, real estate, hospitality mm-hmm. uh, firm mm-hmm. to, you know, to build uh, more destination properties, whether it's a hotel or a cabin or a resort or or some place where people can gather and, and meet and just enjoy themselves. So that's what I would do. 
Right. No, uh, that's, that's, that's great. That's amazing. You're actually getting to my next questions before. I didn't even think that was going to be your answer, but I love it. Um, and the cool thing about what you're talking about is whenever you build something like that, you're bringing new money in and you're stimulating the whole community, right? Correct. Right. No, that's, yes. that's great. So my, my question, my next question, since we're, we're done with the icebreakers, was what type of industry are you in? So you're in the hospitality industry, right, specifically? Yes. Historically, I have been in the hospitality industry, again, building hotels for the past you know, 13 years. Um, I worked for a major corporation, Hyatt Hotels Corporation, for 11 years and uh, you know, built many hotels across the USA, Mexico, and Central America. Um, and I'm hoping, I'm thinking, what's your, what your next question might be is, you know, if, if, where am I going to go to next? And is that the industry that I want to be in? As you know, um, you, you know this pandemic revealed um, what industries are essential and non-essential. And unfortunately, my industry, hospitality industry, uh, was not that essential. Uh, if you think about it, you know, it's more of a luxury, right, rather than, than a need. So, um, this this pandemic has really tested the industry. A lot of uh, owners, a lot of operators running these hotels across the USA and even the world are struggling making their you know payments and mortgage and paying their bills. So um, I don't know. Uh, it, it, it was a good industry until the pandemic revealed how vulnerable it was. So only time will tell where, where the industry will go. Are you still being able to actively, you know, work uh, in your industry because of COVID? No, unfortunately, like mainly, like many uh, people across the USA, you know, millions, I can't, I can't remember what the latest stats are, but unfortunately, I was one of those that uh, was laid off uh, early uh, this year, um, especially in this industry, uh, you know, hospitality industry, uh, you know, so no, I have not been actively involved in the hospitality industry as of this year. So we'll see what the next year brings, hopefully. Uh, with the vaccines coming out and, uh, you know, maybe that'll improve the economy. Who knows? But only time will tell. Well, you know, they said 2020 is supposed to be the year of clarity, but I guess we kind of saw things that we didn't want to see. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I think we all did. Yeah. But the great thing is since we're both uh, going through this MBA program, definitely we'll be able to pivot and go into different industries uh, based off of our newfound uh, experience. Right. That's what I've heard from a lot of people that I've talked to. You know, I've been networking as much as I can, and that's what people should be doing is networking, reaching out to people that you've worked with, even, even people that, reaching out to people that you, you know, that you don't know, just getting out of the box and just trying to reach out you know, for help. And so one thing that I've, that I've heard from people that I've worked with in the past, um, especially people in higher management roles like VPs and CEOs, they've all said the same thing is, you know, for like you and I, Justin, right now, we're going through this MBA program at SMU. At the end, when we come out of this pandemic, we're, we're going to be, we're going to have the leg up because we're setting ourselves up to, for the next stage, for the, for our next roles. Right. No, I, I'm not sure if you saw the recent, uh, we'll just say news. I don't, we don't have to go with the stats, uh, but the, the education, higher education as a whole, they said they've been seeing a huge increase with people trying to you know, get into business school or law school to kind of like pad and do exactly what you're talking about to set themselves up um, to kind of come out of COVID, um, you know, being on top because a lot of people that have been laid off are the people that didn't have certain levels of education or degrees. 
And so, I, you know, there's a trend going on right now. But then fortunate for us, since we got into SMU when COVID started, the criteria with, you know, supply and demand, mm-hmm. since there's so much demand now, it's actually a lower supply. So they're making it a lot harder to get in. They're saying that getting into a business program is one of the hardest times in the last 20 years of business schools, just being able to get accepted because everyone's trying to go. Well, that's amazing. I didn't realize that. I guess we're fortunate that we got in when we got in. Um, You know, and and it's not like, you know, getting into the SMU MBA program, you know, I didn't get into it just because of the pandemic. There was a lot of other personal and professional reasons for getting in, but it just happened, you know, by coincidence, we got in right before, you know, we got in before they got really bad. So I guess we're fortunate in that sense. No, no, it's the same. I did not, I had no idea that uh, COVID was going to happen. I know I planned to go to SMU. SMU was on the top of my list uh, pretty much since I lived in downtown Dallas. I went to that, uh, the campus. I lived maybe 10 minutes away from it. I interacted with so many students there and they all said great, wonderful yes. things. And so I was like, man, I, I must really check this place out. And I applied to three um, colleges uh, for the MBA program. And SMU was my first choice, and that's the choice I went with. Now, before we get ahead of, you know, talking about SMU, I just want to get a little bit more kind of like understanding of what you did prior uh, in your in the hospitality industry. I know you said that you did a lot of construction and you built hotels. For people who were not in the hospitality industry or not in the construction industry, and let's just say you had to explain it to one of your kids, right? Like a, a three to five year old. He said, hey, this is what I do. How would you explain what you do on a daily basis? Good question. In a nutshell, I would be, I would say that my role is essentially the, the what I call client facing, the, the, the person that people see, deal with. Um, interact with, ask questions, ask for clarifications, ask for direction. Um, essentially, as you mentioned in your introduction, uh, the leader, that's what I am. People come, you know, people need that guidance and sense of direction and they need it fast and, and they need it quick, you know, and, and they need a clear direction. So if my son, which my son is in that age and my daughter, um, when they ask me, Dad, what do you do? I'm a project manager, and I help lead the team uh, to a successful outcome. And that's that's how I explain it to them, and that's how I would explain it to you. All right, so you're the coach of what you do. So if we're basketball or football, you'd be the coach, making sure that everyone does their job right and being able to make sure that at the end of the day, the outcome is going to be exactly what you guys want, right? That is correct. It's a lot on the shoulders, uh, you know, uh, financial responsibilities, uh, accountability, but uh, it's well worth it, satisfying. And, you know, again, it's just, it, it gives me a great feeling watching people grow and learn from me. And, you know, they use that and pay it forward, essentially. Right, right. Well, uh, now, a lot of people, so I happen to be very familiar with the hospitality industry uh, because I was the national account manager for Starwood and Marriott for three years uh, when I used to sell telecom. And so I, I've, I've worked and interacted with a lot of people in hotels. You said that you worked with, you know, Hyatt, Marriott, Starwood. Can you name one of your favorite projects that you've 
built or worked on um, with any of your clients? Yeah. You know, I would say this was probably six years ago. I did a high place hotel in Los Cabos, Mexico, uh, along the coastline. It was one of my favorite projects because when this project was being built, um, it was during wintertime. So luckily I got to escape a lot of the cold weather, you know, in the U.S. and head down south mm-hmm. to the beach and spend time there. Um, wonderful area, you know, if, you, if you've been along the coastline, if you've ever been anywhere in it's, Mexico. It's nice. It's nice yeah, and warm. It was, it was warm. It was pleasant. Mm-hmm. Oh, I did not want to go back. So it was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, had plenty of margaritas and seafood. And it was just one of those projects where you don't forget, uh, you know, because of the atmosphere, the environment, the people were just happy. You know, it was just, uh, I guess it's just uh, something about the sun and the, the water and the beach uh, just makes people relax, makes people happy. So th- that was one of my, one of my favorite projects th- thus far. And, and what what did you do on that project? Did you guys build a new hotel? Was it an extension, a renovation? What type yes. of project was it? So it was a project. It was hit by a hurricane. And I can't remember the name of the hurricane, but it was completely destroyed. Um, only, only the structure was standing. You know, the the uh, the structural steel, but everything else was ripped apart. Wow! All the exterior walls, the roof, the you know, all the furniture was blown away. Windows were blown away. So it essentially, it was just wiped out. So essentially, we had to go in and rebuild the thing, rebuild the thing. Um, we kept the structure. It was still structurally sound. And uh, basically, it was not just that hotel. It was that entire Los Cabos community. A lot of, uh, it was a lot of destruction. Uh, so so throughout the place, you know, I could see you know, it's amazing when some, when something like that natural disaster happens. It, it's really the community gets together and uh, they help rebuild the area, and that's what we were doing. We just not, it wasn't only just that hotel, but you know the neighboring buildings. Uh, I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, what made this project unique is there was an aquarium not too far from this hotel that also got damaged, and uh, right before the hurricane hit the coastline, the aquarium needed some help with their dolphins it just so happened to be that this the swimming pool at the hotel was a saline pool rather than a chlorine pool mm. so they took um i can't remember exactly what happened to the aquarium to the to the dolphins um, you know habitat but essentially they took the hot dolphins and put them in the hotel swimming pool wow okay yeah <laughs> and that's that what i mean been, yeah was that a big pool not really. Just think of your standard size hotel, not a resort, just a standard size hotel, swimming pool. Um, but they housed this, the the dolphins there while, you know, they were making repairs to the aquarium. So that goes to show you, you know, the, the kind of um, help that people do. No, that is a strong sense of about. community. And yeah. I bet you that would have been a sight to see as well. For sure. You know, just imagine... <laughs> Just imagine going to your standard hotel swimming pool and all of a sudden you see some fins popping up and, you know, you see a dolphin. So it was quite a sight. Yeah, I mean, it could be a, a new attraction, you know, swimming with the dolphins in a whole new light, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. That's crazy. Cool. Well, now I know we've mentioned a lot about our school, um, SMU. Uh, huge shout out to SMU, Cox School of Business. It is an excellent program. I am so grateful to be part of this program. I want to know, Harvey, 
out of all the courses that we've taken, because uh, you've been almost one year, right? Did you start in May with me, or did you start? Correct. You and I are in the same cohort. I started in May of the, this year, 2020. Okay. Out of all the courses we've taken, um, I think we've had about, what, five courses, if I'm not mistaken? Yes. Correct. Out of, the, out of those courses so far, what has been your favorite course? I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I'll see what, where you're going to be at. I would say probably the legal, uh, business legal environment. Uh, I figured. Course. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun class. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, obviously you and I, uh, along with the other members of our team, worked together uh, on that projects in that course. Um, and we all brought in different perspectives. I think it was a very diverse team. Um, it really helped me focus on, you know, the what the what the purpose of of the course was, which being was which was being a legally a student manager, and thinking about how to you know, to use the legal system to your advantage, mm. um, and, and being a competitive competitive, uh, you know, being in a competitive environment. So I think it really put in perspective how important it is to be legally a student manager. It was interesting because we actually had a real lawyer that was part of our uh, project, uh, group project. Yes. So just having a lawyer and, you know, actually they were being told not to actually yes <laughs> be so much of a lawyer when we're doing this project because it's not about looking at it through the lens of the actual laws, but it's about more of the ethical standpoint of what is the right thing to do um, how do you handle situations and how do you prevent situations from coming up if you already know what could happen? Correct. No, it was, um, yeah, yeah. it was fun. Yeah. It was, it was fun. So out of that course, what did you, what, um, what was your favorite experience so far being at SMU? So it doesn't have to be that course. It doesn't have to be the classes. It could be, you know, any groups that you've joined, any extracurricular activities. If you've been to the campus, so far, what, what's your favorite experience being at SMU? You know, if, if anybody has ever researched SMU, um, one thing that, that you'll find quickly, it is really about the people and the network and the connections that you make. And number one, you do have to get yourself out there. You can't just stay in your own box. You kind of have to get out there, get out of your comfort zone, reach out, get to know people. You're going you're gonna to be forced to work with people that uh, you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're going to have to, you know, make those connections. Um, obviously, before this course, you and I had never known each other, but we quickly we quickly began to know each other, you know, based off of this legal environment uh, course. And uh, we learned each other's strengths. I don't think uh, either one of us has any weaknesses ex- except for kryptonite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I don't know, I don't know my weaknesses. I'm pretty awesome, man. And I'm just like, so, <laughs> <Exactly. no. laughs> but, but I, you know, I think really, it really is um, the network and the network goes very far. Um, you know, not just here in Dallas, Texas, but across the USA and the globe. And, and I think that's um, one of the great advantages about the program and, and the, and this university. Now, you did a uh, one of our immersions already, right? Correct. I did the virtual immersion. It was the first one uh, in August of this year. Obviously, because of the pandemic, we weren't able to get to get together. But so, yes, I completed that first immersion. What 
what actually was that like? What did you learn? You know, walk us through it. I know that you said it was a kind of like a, a war game style for your emergent at the end where you had to complete a task or a project within a certain amount of time. So I know you said there's a lot that you had to do, but what was actually, you know, some of the key takeaways of going through that experience? The key takeaway for me was um, what I learned is using the strengths of your group, your team. I was definitely out of my element. I was out of my zone. I did. It, it was a war game. War challenge is what they were calling it. Basically, what they did is they presented, I think, five companies, international companies, with a challenge, a business challenge, how to help them strategize, how to help them grow, how to help them take their product, um, possibly just think outside of the box where maybe they have some kind of application, but maybe there's a different application for it. So we had to come up with... Um, how to resolve their issues and present it to them in a virtual format via PowerPoint. Although it was, you know, an assignment, it wasn't thought of that way. It, this was real life you know, with real business backers, real financial um, incentives for these companies and, and the investors. So we had to come up with credible solutions. And at the end, you know, what I realized is, you know, there's a lot that I didn't know. Again, I was uncomfortable. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know my industry that well. But luckily, we had I had a strong team, and we used each other's strengths. And we didn't win the immersion uh, because there was a prize at the end of it. But it, it was a prize. Not, okay. Yeah, yeah. You basically get a trophy with your name on it, um, and it's and it's held at the SMU Cox uh, building. But, you know, again, it wasn't just about winning. It was about the experience and, you know, made some connections. And, uh, you know, and basically what I learned, again, was just being uncomfortable, but learning how to, again, use the strengths of each of your team, each other, and getting the job done. That's, and that's what we did. So do you, do you know if any of these five companies or so used any of the strategies? Yes. Oh, they did? Yes, Oh, wow. All of them or some of them? or I know for sure the winning team. Um, I believe, the, I forgot the name of the, uh, of the company, but essentially it had to deal with drones. I believe it was somewhere in, a, in an Asian country. Um, some kind of drone to help farmers. Okay. So, this, so this group thought out of the box. And I think back earlier this year, if you recall, there was a lot of, fires in the west coast in northern california if you recall that yes yes my family so, was there so definitely know the impact yes. of that yes yeah it was awful for sure so based off of you know the current um status of the environment uh, this group's thought uh, out of the box and said well why don't you just take your drones and help firefighting um rather than just focus on you know helping farmers you can do a greater good and Essentially, um, that's what they presented to this company, and uh, it was well received by the company and the, and the financial backers. Wow! And you know they they won, and they used that idea. I don't know the current status of what they're doing to implement, um, you know, that proposal. But you know, it certainly that team won because they thought outside of the box. So it was things of that nature, you know, just thinking outside the box, doing something else that 
creates value for the company. That's that's crazy. I I'm actually looking forward. Uh, I'm I'm holding off because I'm trying. I want to go to the Abu Dhabi. Um, yes. Alleged. We. I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but I do want to go there, and I definitely want to go to Singapore. That is. Yes. Uh, those were the two highlights that made me choose SMU because I was like, oh, I would love to do this. So I'm looking forward to it. Thank you for giving me some more insight of how that actually works. Yeah. Now you have time because there's some professors that help out with um, the emergence, right? Yes. So professors for sure. Um, sorry, you know, their names escape me for the <laughs> time right. being, but yeah, you're, you're guided throughout the program. Um, they basically essentially walk you through your assignment and what the ultimate result needs to be. And then it's up to you to make it happen. But yeah, you're guided throughout the process. So you're not just, you're not just thrown into the wolves. Wow, that's, that's, that's great. My question is, out of all the professors, TAs, anybody that you've interacted with SMU, who has been, who's had the most impact? Which professor has had the most impact on your time here uh, in our program at SMU? Good question. You know, each, obviously each professor brings a different level of knowledge that I could, you know, use. Uh, they have each one of them has different experiences. Even the TAs, even um, you know, they're they've been very helpful. But has one stood out amongst the rest? I mean, they are going to probably hear this, but I don't think they're going to you know take offense. If anything, they'll just be happy that they know that they're making an impact on everybody who's going through the program. Yeah, I would say um, thus far. Believe it or not, uh, Mike Davis with our macro and microeconomics course, um, his style of teaching was unlike uh, that I've seen thus far. Uh, you know, I, I've taken macro and micro in my undergrad, so it wasn't new to me. Right. But the, but the way he presented it, the, the, the material, the way he taught, the way he presented it, it's like I never knew it. It's like I've never taken micro, 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 and microeconomics before. He is, his style is very unique. Um, he's very passionate about those subjects, and, it, you know, and it's obvious when, when you watch him and you hear him. So I think um, with, with his style, it made me realize, uh, you know, just made me realize other things within that field that I didn't realize before. Um, and, I, and I think I really enjoyed his course. That's been thus far. That's been a professor that I really loved so far. I will. I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, not only is his personality and character, it's great uh, to interact and be in a class with him. I also had him for my macro microeconomics course as well. Uh, but to kind of highlight what you're saying, he was able to shine a light on different areas of how uh, these policies impact. You know, not only governments or trade with other countries, but businesses and how it impacts the employees and so on and so forth. Uh, but it, he also kind of like forces you to keep looking in that direction because for the most part, people might look at macro uh, microeconomics, um, just saying, oh, this is data that we look at for the world. But in his course, he made you actually see the impact on multiple different levels and how certain decisions could, you know, 
impact a low-level employee, but that's actually coming from a government policy. Yes, definitely, for sure. You know, when most people think of economics, they think of supply and demand, and they think, you know, right. about the demand curve, supply curve, and equilibrium. That's, that's usually what you picture, what you envision. But no, this course definitely took it beyond that, you know, ethical choices based on policy, government, state, you name it. Um, and I think in that sense, that's, again, that's one of the reasons that I really enjoyed this course, because it took it beyond just the typical, you know, supply and demand equilibrium. For sure. Yeah. Now, this last part, uh, this next part, I call it the elephant in the room. And this this is strictly related to dealing uh, with businesses uh, while you're speaking with them. And it's it's something that I've come across for the last over a decade of me having to deal with clients from mom and pops to enterprise accounts. There's always been scenarios where companies do not want to address the elephant in the room, no matter how obvious it is, obvious it is to you or to me. Uh, a lot of times, if you bring it up, it's such a pain point that they don't want to talk about it. So I know you being in the hospitality industry, more so focused on construction, what is one thing you have noticed as a consistent hurdle when having the clients you work with acknowledge something difficult? That's a fully loaded question, Justin, as you can imagine. There's many answers to that, you know. Uh, we can talk about race. We can talk about um, gender. We can talk about disability, um, which all obviously impact um, the business environment. Right. Um, but, I, but I think from my personal working experience. Yes, your, your experience. What have you yes. had to deal with? Whether it could be any of those things you mentioned, or it could just be them acknowledging a problem that they have. Like, what, uh, yes. what, what have you seen? Um, like more than once that has yes. made it difficult for you to achieve your objective, mutual objective. At that, I would say people that fake it until they make it. Elaborate. What do you mean by that? It could be anybody. It could be somebody uh, on my level, project manager. It could be somebody above my level. Um, directors, VPs, CEOs, um, you know, from my personal working experience, I've worked with corporations, I've worked with, you know, small companies, like you said, mm-hmm. mom and pop companies, medium-sized companies, and I've worked for and I've worked with people that are not as competent in the position that they should be, and I've questioned why they are there. <laughs> but, you know, um, that's just the way sometimes the business environment is, uh, and you have to deal with it, and you have to do the best you can from that position that you're in, that situation that you're in, and just deal with what you have. Um, you know, I'll give you a perfect example. I once worked for, for a VP in a major corporation who had no bachelor's degree, no master's, no MBA. Just school of hard knocks, but fortunately for that person, worked hard, made the right connections, mm. and and made his way up to the top. So, you know, by credentials, one would question, well, why, why is that person there? And what happened when you interacted with this VP? You know, it's obvious it, when a person um, is not as competent, 
It's obvious because they're afraid to fail. And what that means is they love to micromanage because they don't allow failure. They're afraid of it. So what happens is they come to you to make sure that they want everything done the way they want it done and nothing else. So essentially, they don't want soldiers. They don't want leaders. They want robots. Right. And that's, and that's what I dealt with for many, many years, you know. I possibly totally or, understand. You know, yes. So, <laughs> so you know, from my experience, um, going from company to company, um, that's what I witnessed. You know, people that fake it until they make it where they want to be because, you know, for whatever reasons, they 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 want economic gain, financial gain. Mm. They want that title. Um, you know, how they get there. You know, they've got their by their own merits or by connection, um, but they're there, and it's again, it's questionable whether they're competent to be there or not. Um, but it happens in the business environment, so that's what I've consistently um, experienced. I will definitely give you a uh, a green light, a uh, a cosign uh, to acknowledge I've experienced the same thing. One of the things that I've always questioned when dealing with individuals who, you know, exhibit such traits is I've always wondered why their mind is not focused on the business versus themselves. So what I mean by that is I, I question if they don't, if they'd realize by them just saying, I don't know how that actually hurts the business. I've dealt with businesses where I've, looked through people's financials on certain products, uh, certain services they have and said, Hey, you know, you guys are spending, I don't know, $2 million. This, these are real numbers. You're spending $2 million too much every single year for the same exact product that you can get somewhere else. And they did not want to acknowledge it. They didn't want to hear it. And I just could not fathom, you know, why they would just, you know, not do the right thing for the business. Mm -hmm. And, that's that's really, you know, why I, I have this question. This question will be consistent on every podcast that I have because the whole goal of what I want to do with this, you know, interviewing everyone that I speak with is to shed light on some issues of just not having transparency or not being able to just admit when you don't know something and how it actually impacts the greater good of your corporation. Now, I understand that if you are a sole proprietorship or it's, you know, even if you're sole proprietorship, this doesn't excuse you, but it's saying like who actually owns the company. And a lot of times when you're dealing with enterprise accounts, someone doesn't own the company. You have shareholders, investors, stakeholders that own this company and it's not a person. And so really what I'm wanting to do is bring light to how a lot of people who don't want to just say, I don't know, or how can I help? Or we don't want to talk about this because this could be a headache, a hassle or whatever the case may be, how it actually is doing a disservice to the overall business. Exactly. You know, it's, it's about, again, accountability, responsibility, and just owning up when you do or do not know or need help. Um, you know, it's about just being transparent. And a lot of people have a deal, you know, have an issue with that. And, you know, I think because of my experiences um, and your experiences, 
that gives us more self-awareness. And I'm hopeful that in my future that I'm not one of those people and I don't want to be one of those people. I, I want to be mm-hmm. able to recognize um, when I don't know something, when I when recognize when I need to ask for help um, and reach out. Yeah, and so I'm not putting the business, the corporation, or the company, or the stakeholders in a situation that they don't need to be in. For sure. And I think that I think when people start having this shift in mindset of accountability and responsibility to the bigger picture, the, the, the stakeholders, uh, I think businesses overall will just change and probably be more profitable just in general because they're, they're not trying to hide or cover up things that might show how they may be incompetent. But a lot of people, you know, uh, I'll put it like this. I have a five-year-old. He's in school right now. And I'm working with him to understand, like, if, if he doesn't know something, it's better for you just to say, I don't know, so you can learn it real quick, versus faking it and getting it yes. wrong. Because faking it and getting it wrong, it's going to be harder to, to correct than correcting it from the very beginning. Exactly. And, you know, even kids can tell when you're wrong. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, you, yes. So, <laughs> I, you know, I've, I've been wrong. I've helped my son with his homework here at, at home, and um, I can't give you a, a perfect example, but he's pointed out when I've been wrong. You know, it's amazing, you know, because you tend to forget all these elementary subjects. And, um, and uh, I know there was an instance here recently where I forgot the answer to a certain question that he had mm-hmm. i got it wrong and he, he said no dad you're wrong I'm like, oh. so we looked at google it up and sure enough he was right yeah um so yeah for sure you know you definitely can't fake it, especially with kids or you know with any any, any other environment you gotta have the credibility behind you well fortunately for me i i haven't had to be wrong on schoolwork but when it comes to building legos there's been a couple of times where i read the instructions wrong those Legos are tricky (laughs) he definitely pointed it out well last question when it comes to you know being the elephant in the room but this is more of on a a positive spin if you were to take what you've learned so far in your MBA program and had to either go back or knowing now when you deal with clients let's just say you stay in hospitality I know you said you may want to look at different things in the future and I guess you can pick anything this is this is your question. What would you take that you've learned so far or something that's stood out to you or impacted you uh, that you didn't know? And how would you use that when dealing with, you know, clients in the future that you're working with? Good question. You know, a lot of the reason why I joined the program in the first place is because I realized, I recognized there was a lot of gaps in my in my skill set that I needed to fill in um, and I still do um, obviously we still got a ways to go with this finishing this program but I think thus far um, if I could go back based on what I've learned so far to deal with my clients well good question um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it could be anything it could be you know learning knowing to look at you know financial statements differently to be able to point out some areas of opportunities, uh, maybe when we're procuring, I don't know, supplies or materials for your construction jobs. It could be being able to use that to drive a point home further. I mean, it could be anything that you really want it to be. We've learned so much. We've done um, data analytics. We've done 
what else have we done? We've already done the legally astute in business, accounting, uh, micro macroeconomics. There's been a lot. Yeah, for sure. And that's why I'm trying to uh, recall everything in my head. But I think going back to our first semester in May of this year, the other course that we took was managing and leading people. Excellent course. And there was a great section where it was about self-awareness. And I think if I were to take that section and present all the material to the people that I worked with, any client that I worked with, I would say, here, take this, read it, do the assessments, and let me know what you get out of it. Because I think a lot of people are like that self-awareness, you know, how they come across, um, how they lead, what their strengths and weaknesses are, um, things of that nature. You know, some people just don't realize where they are and where they need to improve. And I would really take that back to them and, and have them go to that section and, and learn from it, learn how they can improve and just handle people um, and handle, them, handle themselves. So that's one thing that I would like for them to go back and do. No, that's I actually like your answer. Uh, it's not too often. I mean, we do give our clients homework, but making them take a self-awareness assessment probably would be uh, out of the box. But I think it also could help out with addressing the elephant in the room that I'm sure everyone that's in business has to deal with. Exactly. So, you know, I think self-awareness for any situation, not just in a business setting, you know, even at home life, um, how you carry yourself with your own family, you know, with your mates, um, with your family members, friends, uh, I think that particular section from that course was really valuable to me because it really is, you know, looking at the man in the mirror, seeing who you are, where you need to be, um, really put everything into perspective. So I think that's not helpful, not just in the business setting, but in life in general. For sure. I mean, to make it a little light, I think uh, Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror, highlights that a lot. I don't know if people are really understanding what he's talking about. It's exactly what we're speaking about now. Exactly. So, yeah, that's exactly, that's the first thing that came <laughs> through my mind. That's what I envisioned right now. Good, good. Well, Harvey, uh, we are at the end. This is the section where you could say whatever you want to say. The floor is yours. If you have questions, you want to tell anybody what's going on in your life, anything, um, you can. This is it. You can say whatever you like. Go for it. Thank you, Justin. It's been a pleasure being on your podcast. I really enjoyed my time here. And what I would say to you and the audience, especially anybody wanting to pursue their MBA, what I would like to say based so far from my experience at SMU is that not just the networking and connections, but when you join the MBA program anywhere, don't just think about it as a school assignment. Yes, you're, you know, you're there to learn and get your A's, B's, and C's out of it, but Try to try to make it as real as you can. And even I know thus far at SMU, they try to make it as real as they can uh, with their case studies and the coursework and, and the group assignments. So one thing that I've learned so far is, you know, I'm not just trying to reach for a grade of A um, so I can maintain my 4.0 GPA. It's not just that, but I, I try to make it as real as possible because at the end of this, I, I want to come out of it with uh, a credible experience and more experience so, so I can hit the ground running 
when I'm ready for that, uh, with that next opportunity. No, definitely. I love the way that you summed that up. The value of the experiences that we're getting at SMU are great. I want to say thank you so much, Harvey, for being the first guest on this podcast. I have a feeling that you might be back, especially uh, as you progress through your career or in life. And we might talk about some different things, but uh, definitely it was excellent. And I look forward to the next semester with you, man. Thank you, likewise, Justin. I appreciate it. And I didn't realize I was number one, but definitely I don't want to be the last. Anytime, (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) All right, cool. Thank you so much, Harvey. Have a good one.